ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take you all the way down in New Orleans this time. Welcome to another edition of Hard to Paint with me, David Grubb. And on Wednesdays, you know what we do. It's the Dome Patrol with my man, Ross Jackson. And for this special regular season wrap-up episode, we welcome for the third time the patrol of the Dome Patrol. <laughs> the one and only <laughs> Maddie Hudak. Maddie, welcome. Glad to have you back. Thanks for having me. Wednesdays were always my uh, favorite day in college, so that sounds very fitting, but... I would be this guest. <laughs> Is there something more to the, to the, yeah, to the right. No, it's just unlimited happy hour on Wednesdays and you just cannot. Ah, uh, okay. That I was going to say there's, there's, there's like two types of people. It's like my favorite classes were on Wednesday <laughs> or something having nothing to do with classes, which was always my favorite part of my favorite day of college is yeah, I mean, whatever didn't have anything to do with classes. But I'm talking about college, like eight years after the fact, it's usually not. Oh, I really enjoyed this undergraduate <laughs> course. <laughs> oh, man. Oh. Loved my not- linguistics class I was in by accident that I thought was a history course. Good times. Oops. <laughs> it was called the history of writing. My bad. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. well, that seems like one you could have missed, though. You could have missed that one day. You could miss that day. But history wasn't going to change much in that, that hour and a half, that hour 15 minutes you were going to be in class. I'm going to change. It was fine. You're right. You made it up. Um, let's. <laughs> and now I know the entire phonetic alphabet for no reason. So, <laughs> hey, you never know. You could have ended up teaching English in Bangladesh, and it would have great, helped. great for acting. Great for acting because you got to be able to do dialects and you got to be able to do uh, accents and everything. And EPA oh, my voice can that, do none so. of that. So I know. I know. Right? I know. Maddie, Maddie has a voice. <laughs> <laughs> hey, look, you know, she can be Arthur had a voice. That's <laughs> <You> right. <laughs> there's, there's room for that deep voice mixing somewhere around. Here, you know? I can the- sometimes sound, make it sound like a question by bringing it slightly up at the end. And that's, that's about it. <laughs> you can, you can be that deadpan character. You know, the one that doesn't, the emotions don't go up and down, but you drop those lines, you know, yep. just the perfect deadpan, kind of like a, a, a Marty Funkhauser on a Kirby enthusiasm. Yeah. All about timing. All about the timing. Just be the straight, <laughs> you're the constant straight person, but you have the funny in there. Um mm. What, what what has been uh, funny has been this Saints season. And we come to this conclusion, nine and eight. Again, I think all of us in our preseason predictions, if everything had gone right, we thought this was maybe a 10-win team. If everything had gone right. Everything did not go right. No. I mean, conceivably speaking, nothing went right or according to plan. Um, and yet, in my estimation, and I think, and I've seen your reactions to it too, this is one of the finest nine and eight seasons, you know, or one game over 500 seasons you will ever see put together. That's my thought. Maddie, I'll give you first word. Yeah. I mean, I think I, I was a little delusional and probably gave more than that way to start the season off. And then as the hits kept coming, yeah, it really became one of those 10 wins would be great kind of thing. Uh, and really to me, I mean, that Miami game, it, you're just never going to say one way or another, but you could say for all intents and purposes, this could easily have been a 10-win uh, team. But I think what stands out most to me is that this just shouldn't have happened 
when you look at history and you look at replacing franchise quarterbacks and the fact that when they retire in their late stage career and all of those kind of late free agency pushes to try to get them a last championship, like we saw in New Orleans, then that leads to having a lot of players you can't keep around and, and an unprecedented pandemic kind of, you know, hampering the cap that much more. This should have been entirely impossible from the get go. And yet somehow the, the culture that's been instilled really through, you know, the leaders, mostly on defense, but, but throughout the team, but for all of the hits that came this season. And like you said, to be that impressed by a nine and eight season. And then when I put it in the context of most teams that turn over from a quarterback, you know, lose 10 or 11 games that next season and circle the drain for years following, there's really not this worry or this, you know, idea that, what is life after Drew Brees? It, it's kind of quite clear to me. And it's it's a very tough team that is built on a defense that doesn't give up. And it, it's a question of not having the sky fall on them next season. And they're all ready to compete. We have to start with uh, Sean Payton and his influence um, this entire season. This was a test for him. You know, much like the uh, microscope was on Bill Belichick last year after Tom Brady left. You know, people were, were wanting to see what genius that Sean Payton can come up with. It ended up not being play calling genius this season. It ended up being something much deeper. Ross, what did you see in the evolution of Coach Payton this year that is really exciting going forward for this franchise? Yeah, look, one of the big questions that everybody kind of asked after Drew Brees retired was, all right, who's going to be the leader of this team? Who's going to be the leader in the locker room? Who's going to be all that? We had a lot of conversations around, well, you know, maybe it's going to be Cam Jordan, right? Demario Davis, these guys, not really an offensive personality available to the Saints that would step into like that kind of a role outside of Jameis Winston. And so I think that what we learned not only about Sean Payton, but about this team is that Sean Payton has the ability to be that leader in the locker room, right? Be that like leader of men, I think is that, that big, you know, phrase that likes to get thrown around a lot. But, you know, you look at the teams over the last two years that have lost their starting quarterback for 10 or more games. And you've got like Houston who went four and 13 this year. They never had Deshaun Watson, who was intended to be their starter. The bears this year who were cycling through a bunch of different quarterbacks, six, six and 11. Last year, you had the Jaguars one and 15, Washington football team seven and nine. And you had the Cowboys and 49ers who were both six and 10. Then you had the Dolphins that were 10 and six last year. And I made a big, I think, you know, uh, Grub, you and I talked about like Brian Flores last year was like coach of the year to us and everything in terms of what it was that he put together. But then it ended up going to Kevin Stefanski because, you know, I mean, he brought the, he brought the rounds to the playoffs. Like, he, he, come on. Like, of course, sure, that makes sense. But um, I think that when you look at, sort of the big question that came out of Drew Brees' retirement in terms of who's going to be the leader, what is Sean Payton going to be able to do without Drew Brees? I think that he answered that question with a resounding, like, remain competent and remain, you know, and keep this team up above expectation. You know, you mentioned that we expected this New Orleans Saints team to be 10 and seven, completely healthy. This team could have been 10 and seven with a healthy kicker for 17 games. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like everything else could have gone as it went, but if Will Lutz would have been healthy for set for 17 games, you probably get 10 or 11 games. Out of, even 10 if you or 11 just wins out don't of miss season. extra points. It's like, it didn't right. even have to be Will Lutz. It just had to be, don't miss extra points guys. Yeah. Right. Like going back to the, uh, that Titans game, for instance, where the two, the two missed extra points mm-hmm. is what put them in a situation Falcons where they game. had to go for two at the end, the, the Falcons game, the 
uh, the uh, New York Giants game at home when he missed up to the to the right. I think that was Brian Johnson, if I remember correctly, at that point. So it's just like it's you know for me, I think that what we learned about head coach Sean Payton is that he should not be defined simply by his time with Drew Brees, and that he's he is the coach that we thought he was. He wasn't able to be the play calling genius that we're used to this season because he cycled through four different quarterbacks and six different offensive tackles and, you know, several different players that were missing. And you just don't have the same playbook for Trevor Simeon that you have for Jameis Winston, for Ian Book that you have for Taysom Hill, right? You don't have the same playbook between Jameis Winston and Taysom Hill, right? You can see that in terms of the percentage of depth and passes that these guys threw over the course of the season to where, you know, Jameis threw 36.6% uh, downfield 20, uh, 20 yards more, which is the lowest of the three quarterbacks that started more than one game, but through the highest when it came to passes between zero to nine yards, it was a more efficient and sort of meticulous offense with Jameis Winston at the helm interestingly enough. So you saw even that in and of itself and what the Saints were able to do with Jameis Winston goes to speak highly of Sean Payton and the rest of his coaching staff, Ronald Curry, quarterbacks coach, Pete Carmichael, offensive coordinator, and of course, Dennis Allen, defensive coordinator. I think that should speak very highly of all of them. But if it wasn't for the Saints missing the playoffs, which I think is going to be kind of the nail in the coffin, I would be talking about you know, I, I still, to this point, believe that Sean Payton should be heavy consideration for coach of the year, along with probably Zach Taylor in Cincy and then Mike Vrabel in Tennessee. But, it, you know, I know that the the missing the playoffs deal is what's going to end up kind of pushing it away because no coach of the year has been awarded coach of the year without a 10 win season since 2012. And Bruce Arians took over and went nine and three in Indy. And then before that, it was 1990 with Jimmy Johnson because he took a one and 15 Cowboys team to seven and nine. Unfortunately for Sean Payton, they didn't go one and one and 15 the year before this. So he's not going to get the same recognition, I bet. But I, I mean, I think your leader is there in the room. And so I think that it makes building going into the offseason or reloading going into the offseason all that much easier when you know you have you still have that consistent leadership perspective at Sean Payton. Manny, I. Oh, go ahead. You have something? I was going to say, honestly, I, I look at the situation in Detroit and, and what Dan Campbell's been able to do. And, and quite honestly, if I could ever make a case for uh, that much of a losing record to be debatably coach of the year, it's not a coincidence to me that he came from the Saints organization and that he was under Sean Payton. Like, I, I think... When I was on Gus's show, he brought up Ross that you had said your biggest takeaway from this season is that culture matters. Mm -hmm. And I think that's just really where it stuck out to me most. Absolutely. Um, there is an undeniable Saints culture. And you saw it kind of grow as, as players emerged as leaders. And I think that was a big concern as people were, you know, oh, Drew Brees isn't here. This team is going to lose its rudder. And, you know, I, I posted something on Twitter and a lot of people responded positive to it to it because they understood where I was coming from. And I said essentially that I'm glad, and it's not about a knock on Drew Brees. I was glad that he wasn't here for this. All the times that people kept saying, let's call Drew and have him come back. Or if they make the playoffs, call Drew and have him come back. I'm glad they didn't do that because at some point, every franchise has to move on. And this year, the move on, I think, meant so much more because of all the things that these guys went through in that locker room. They know they shared this sacrifice. They shared this adversity for 18 weeks. Well, longer than that, if you want to go back to preseason and training camp and all these things, they lived it every day as a group. And I feel like it, they deserved, if they had made the postseason, to see it through as a group. And you can't have that Drew Brees specter hanging over this franchise anymore. 
yeah, it sucks. Drew didn't get to get the send off that you wanted. That's fine. It's you can say that you can respect everything he did for this franchise. But that time had to pass eventually for everyone. And it's time to start looking to that next chapter. And I think you found out more about this team this year. The guys that you want to keep, who are the foundational pieces, who's bought into the culture than you ever would have found out if Drew Brees had been around because the story ultimately would have been. Can Drew Brees get his team to the Super Bowl or not? And I don't think that if even if he had played, this is a Super Bowl team. So if they lose in the postseason with Drew Brees under center, again, it wipes away everything good that they did because now we're focused on Drew lost his last game again. Yeah. I I love that we are coming out of this season talking about the resilience of a team that finished nine and eight and that we're giving credit, credit and credence to the players that worked their asses off over the course of the entire season, the organization that busted the jails over the course of the entire season, all of them that went through so much that that's what we're talking about, as opposed to, y'all remember when Drew Brees came for that one Monday night game and won against the Miami Dolphins, like this is Waterboy or something? Like, I don't want, I like, I, I respect Drew Brees, and, and obviously, like, Drew Brees is one of the pinnacle players to ever play for this franchise, but I, I agree with you. I think that I am far more grateful that what we get to talk about this offseason is what this franchise, what this team, and what this team's makeup and culture was able to create and and support throughout the course of this season, weathering several storms figuratively and literally throughout this season without us having to say, but, you know, Drew Brees came back for a playoff game or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, unless it was to bring Drew Brees back, have him play like two series and then take him out and put Trevor Simeon in because Trevor Simeon was just outstanding when he came in for somebody else and everything. I, I, I would not have enjoyed seeing that just based upon how I understand it would have shifted the narrative for this team come the offseason. I, I just think that there at times too is almost complacency in elite quarterback play. And just what I'm thinking back on, you know, all of the years under drew a lot of the culture for, you know, lack of a better term was really reliant on, on breeze being a hero and, mm-hmm. you know, doing Superman like things to compensate for, you know, a, a team that really wasn't able to close. And, you know, to me, at what point is that we know that we have drew breeze coming in to save the day And that really allowed, you know, kind of that mental game to really rest on its laurels. But this year it really stuck out to me that, you know, there is no Drew Brees anymore. So someone else really has to pick the ball up here. And for as important of of the position at quarterback, to me, what, what this season showed most is how much more important the rest of the team is and how often that gets discounted for getting the guy under center we have to go out and get this guy. And, and then you look at, you know, places like the Rams where they have this high powered team and they just went out and got that quote unquote quarterback. And, and that quarterback, it, it just looked like a bunch of disjointed, no culture, no identity because they don't have any cohesion or history together. Whereas, like you said, like that these guys went through 18 weeks dating back to training camp. Like th- this is almost like a brotherhood really now on, on this team. And to get such reassurance of that just, you know, again, in in this turnover year. And again, to to Breeze's credit, A, I think he probably saw the O-line situation and and quickly said mahalo and went back to golfing in Hawaii. Like he had very much moved on, but, you know, 
as much as this will become a huge point of discussion in this off season of who's under center, who should they go out and make a trade for? uh, I, I very much at this point, when you talk about untouchables on a team, I almost consider the team as a whole to be untouchable in that telling these guys that quarterback is so much more important than the job they all did this season by effectively either getting their entire draft picks gone or, or giving away some of these key players that played a huge role in that. I, I've almost you know taken a step back on it really doesn't matter who's under center next year. That evaluation process will continue to happen. I'd say the only, you know, negative about this season was due to the injuries, they really got no answers, you know, at quarterback. And every time a quarterback is really starting to break through and, and start to kind of command this offense injury and, and that's it. So, mm-hmm. you know, not being able to get an evaluation on, on really either. And you could say, you know, you got a lot to work off of, especially with Jameis Winston, but ultimately, you know, I think, any goals of evaluation in that aspect were very lost this season. So that's kind of going to get restarted here, but uh, it's almost to me a a secondary conversation. I'm so much more interested in this team as a whole. And I think that really says a lot about what they were able to do this season that after having someone like Drew Brees under center, that position is such, you know, an afterthought to me at this point. Mm -hmm. It's almost a reset because everything post Super Bowl was really Drew Brees. I mean, we just have to be honest. The, the culture of the Saints shifted at the moment they won the Super Bowl to the, the cult of Brees. And that's not an, I'm not saying as a negative or a pejorative. I'm just saying that's right. how things yeah. were perceived. Prior to that, you know, the, the the team that made the NFC Championship game and played the Bears, that was a, a, there was that whole mix. We were talking about Reggie. We were talking about Colson. We're talking about, you know, uh, Cam on it. You talk about the Will Smiths. You're talking about the guys on the defense. All that was was part of the story up until the Super Bowl. We're talking about that defense, the turnovers that they generated, all those things. It was a team story. And then after that, as the 5,000 yard seasons came, the focus became about points and not just getting the wins. This team reestablished an identity. Like now people are talking just about the Saints defense and saying, I don't want to play those guys. Right. I don't want to play those guys. They've got people at every level. They hit, they play with attitude, they play with intelligence, they play with speed, they play with power. That defense is as complete a defense in the league when it's healthy and even when it's not it's still holding people to sub two touchdown games. It's it's that story in and of itself. Another un uh, undervalued story this season has been just how dominant the Saints defense has been, particularly for Taysom Hill, who got essentially the 85 bears every weekend when he went out there <laughs> and, and to, to put him in position to win games. You can't, you can't understate their value enough this year. I mean, overstate their value enough this year. Yeah. And I mean, I'm a defense person, so this has been super exciting for me, you know, when the draft happened and it was, you know, defensive end followed by a linebacker followed by cornerback. I'm sitting in my room, like, Oh my God, the Renaissance is happening. But uh, I think, you know, just to point out the fact that, you know, the, the Saints were able to get a starter opposite Lattimore that there wasn't an issue of trust. And that's really where Janoris Jenkins his value came to me was 
his ability to let Marshawn Lattimore grow as a player, because when you're, and I was a defender at a point. And so I really am understanding of this when you can't trust the person on the other side of the field, it affects how you are defending your side of the field because you always have to be aware of that. It's like, you know, when, when someone on the offensive line is starting to play poorly, oftentimes because the person next to them is screwing up and their extra second of having to worry about that has ruined their own time. So the fact that Paulson Adebo who everyone wanted to take a cornerback in the first round. And there was talk of, you know, trying to trade up for, I don't remember if it was JC Horn or Patrick Sertain, one or the other, but yeah, but you know, Paulson Adebo who hadn't played at all last year and they've been able to put him out since week one. And has he had his bad games sort of, but his bounce back has been so impressive to me. No one had any idea who Pete Werner was when the draft was happening. Uh, you know, most people really hadn't scouted him as a potential linebacker for the Saints and really weren't taking him that seriously as he was just kind of, you know, this small random guy that no one had really scouted. And to me, he was the most impressive player personally in that entire class. And the fact that, that Peyton Turner only played four games, I mean, that's, you know, you could say there there's an issue in and of itself of, of the health of the defensive line, but also the fact that, you know, Tano Passignon went on IR and Marcus Davenport was in and out this season and Peyton Turner only able to contribute that much when you consider, you know, that. And, and as much as people wanted to go to the playoffs and, you know, as much as I, you know, I, I think the defense really deserved to show that uh, there, there hasn't been a season for the saints since 2016 where it's actually ended at the start of January and that extra month for health, especially and not risking additional injuries to some of these key guys that are going to be the foundation of this team next year. Uh, I think it is one of those things where it's just better to rest these key guys that we are all more than confident are going to be playmakers at every level of, of that defense. And then just being able to focus on the offense without the air of we have to replace Drew Brees because it's already essentially happened even if the actual role hasn't been replaced, it's really that identity that you're talking about really being there with the defense that Mm -hmm. that same type of pressure and microscope is not there anymore. And so to me, being able to relax a little bit and not have that hanging over their heads. And then people like Taysom being able to get the surgery now, as opposed to in a couple of weeks, trying to kind of play through it in the playoffs, you know, that is something that's happened with a lot of players on the saints And that just leads to delayed injuries. I mean, you think about Michael Thomas last year playing in that divisional game, really trying to make that extra push for Drew Brees. It likely, you know, ended up probably doing more harm than good for his ankle at that point. But that's what happens when you're a competitive team and you're in the playoffs. And so kind of, you know, getting eliminated by no fault of their own. You know, I I think it would be very different if, let's say the Rams had won and then the Saints lost to the Falcons. Then this end review to me is looked in a little bit of a different picture although even if even if they had lost you know with trevor simeon who did incredible just to say that but those are dimes yeah Yeah. but at what point you know are are the saints allowed to like you know lose a game with everything that's happened at this point but the fact that they persevered through that won anyway and it wasn't until the final hour of the regular season that this team of, of hodgepodges, uh, you know, that have kind of gone through every week of the season, you know, when I was rewatching 
the Dolphins game for the Scouting Academy course I'm taking because I was looking at Pete Werner. And quite honestly, you know, his impressive ability when there wasn't someone next to him like Demario Davis to speak kind of in that Marshawn Lattimore counterpart thing, you know, he, he's a rookie and, and, you know, Zach Bond just has really not been the guy that, you know, they wanted out of a linebacker. And you could tell that Pete Werner was just focused on his assignments and not worried about anything that he was doing. So to see that composure from a rookie, that's clearly, you know, helps been instilled by guys like Demario Davis and Malcolm Jenkins in the backfield. I mean, I'm a defense person. If you said we were going back to 1985 and it was the bears, you know, nine, six games are very exciting to me. I played on a soccer team that couldn't score goals. So our games were always zero, zero. So maybe that explains a lot, but I always think that it's really exciting to look at the play within the points. And a lot of people are just very focused on the points. I like the idea of Maddie's soccer team winning a championship, a half game at a time, you know? Just tie, just tie. Our basketball team in high school, we did. We went to the state finals, and uh, we didn't have a single player on our team average double figures. Wow. Yeah. So we, our coach defense. was like defense. We we played defense. We were small. We only had two guys on our team over six three. Um, I was one of them, and uh, we just. We Are just, you really over six three? I'm six three flat. I've yeah, never like, seen you stand up before, to be honest. So yeah, I- six three flat. So, um, but yeah, it just we didn't have a lot of height, but we just—I mean, you know—we played defense. We played defense. We didn't have a lot of height, but had a lot of heart. That's yeah, right. We did. We yeah. did. The little team that could. That's right. <laughs> we played everybody. We played all the five A schools. We were three A. We played all the five A schools. Yeah. Come out there pushing us around, but that. Uh, when you look at this Saints team and I look at this season and, you know, you see people will go back and they'll, they'll do the thing and say, what about the Giants came and what about this and these individual moments? But again, you have to take all of these things as a whole because you didn't come into the season think you were going to steal two from the Buccaneers. You didn't come into this season thinking you were going to route the Packers in week one with a brand new quarterback, whether that game had been in the home or on road on the road. So you got for every one of those losses that feels like that one got away. There are a couple that you got in that maybe right. you shouldn't have. So looking to me at the whole picture of the season, yeah, a five game losing streak sucks. It absolutely does. But within that five game losing streak, there were three winnable games. And, and so this is a team that, yeah, missing all those parts, it was right there. They didn't get blown out in, uh, in bad ways from a week-to-week basis. And you look right. at it and, and what they get back next year, if you do get a fully healthy Michael Thomas and he's on board, even without making a giant move, and let's get your thoughts on that. Do you think they make a giant move at quarterback? Or is it um, something more strategic by Sean Payton, who has not shown the willingness to, to bet the farm on any outside player yeah i um i want to say real quick just to the idea of like people hit me up with that all the time like oh well they should have won that giants game this wouldn't have been so many times about the giants game (laughs) yeah the the revisionist history approach is always an interesting one because for me anytime that somebody says oh well they should have just won that game i always say well you know they should have just lost all 17 then you wouldn't have anything to worry about (laughs) like we can revise the history whichever way you want because everybody's going to say oh well they should have won a game that they lost but nobody's going to say well they should have lost the game that they won because you can go either way with it right yeah you just that one's always really interesting or maybe say 
San Francisco should have lost another game and then you wouldn't have had <laughs> yeah. nothing to worry about there either. Like there's there's so many different variables to it that like it doesn't make sense to go back and say, well, you know, week four, they should have done this. When the fact of the matter is that week seven, excuse me, week 18, they were still in it and they did what they needed to do. They just didn't get the help that they needed to because as <laughs> Grub, as you um, as you astutely predicted, uh, Matt Stafford can't be trusted. So, <laughs> so is that, you know, and so who's it really on? But um, in regards to like the big move over the course of the offseason, we we can look at the New Orleans Saints over the Sean Payton era and see which which also overlaps, of course, with Mickey Loomis's era. And we could see that like the Saints don't usually make offseason trades that are like these big swinging sort of like swing the pendulum kind of moves. Their trades are usually right before the season or during the draft. Now we've seen already them kind of change up a little bit, right? They made a move last year at the trade deadline. They tried to make a move this year at the trade deadline for Odo Beckham Jr. So we've seen it kind of expand a little bit, but I do think that even despite like the typical history, they've also not been in a situation where they're looking to replace a quarterback either. Right. And that can change the way that you approach an offseason. So for me, I think that while I'll be honest, I don't have an expectation that they will pull off a big move to bring in a new starting quarterback. I do think that they'll leave no stone unturned. I do think that they'll be aggressive. They'll try to find somebody. They'll try to land somebody. I think a lot of folks are going to be focused on Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, when the more realistic range of tradable quarterbacks is going to be like Derek Carr, Jimmy Garoppolo, and you know Baker Mayfield. Like I'm not even going to throw Kirk Cousins in there because I don't think the Saints will welcome Kirk Cousins into their culture. I don't Kirk think Cousins Kirk shouldn't Cousins be welcomed anywhere. They really Kirk should. Cousins is culinary skills cannot come anywhere. He can't be in New Orleans. Orleans. No, no, not. he will. His his mouth burns when he like gets on a plane to New Orleans. Like it's it's scary for him. And I understand. But, you know, like I think that's probably really like the actual tradable quarterbacks. I'm not even convinced Russell Wilson's going anywhere this offseason at this point, considering or depending upon the other moves that are made within the, the organization in Thank Seattle. You, yes. And so, like, there's there's a lot to be said around all of that. But if he does end up being on the move, I expect that Mickey Loomis will call his buddy over in uh, over in in Seattle. You know, what I mean, they're tight. He'll give him a call. They'll see what what if anything, they'll see what's what. But I think that the, the Saints have an, a, an opportunity here to where they could go out and they could make some kind of a move or they could just focus on trying to run it back with the quarterbacks that they have and try to run it back with the defense that they have. The thing that makes it tricky is that the only healthy quarterbacks that you have on a roster right now are Ian book and Blake Bortles, who just got signed to a future reserve contract. So you have to see how um, Taysom Hill recovers from the Liz Frank injury, which is two surgeries, which extends the healing time a little bit because there's one surgery to input hardware that helps the, the fracture heal. And then there's another surgery, which is smaller, but it's a follow-up surgery to remove it. Plus there's the uh, plantar, fa uh, plantar fasciitis injury that we'll see how that gets handled over the off season as well. Meanwhile, you have Jameis Winston recovering from an ACL injury, which is not the injury that it used to be, right? We used to talk about that injury as a career ending injury. Like, are we ever going to see that player again type of stuff? Now we Cam see, Akers. You know, I was going to say, now we, you see Cam Akers coming back in the same season. Uh you know what? what I mean? Which is wild. Quan Alexander coming back from an Achilles injury. That Unreal. Also to be a career, is... career ender, right? And, and then being fast. Like, fast. Quan didn't just Change come back. direction. No Ain't no problem for him. <laughs> it's been wild. So, so I think that they'll make the phone calls. But honestly, I think the big move for New Orleans is 
going to be the, or the big moves for new Orleans, if they make them are going to be offensive line and wide receiver. I think their focus will be on otherwise, which has always been the number one focus for the things where they go into free agency is in house first, then they fill holes and then they go best player available in the draft. What, what stuck out to me was, you know, for for all of the talk of, of the last draft class and, you know, who people thought that the Saints were really looking towards, that they really wanted Mac Jones sticks out to me, especially when you see what role Bill Belichick has put him in in New England and how successful that has been. You know, they're, they're not, the Saints to me aren't looking for someone that can play hero ball. And, right. you know, for everyone that really wanted Matt Stafford, along a lot of the reasons, including in no clutchness whatsoever, you know, to me, just because someone can throw a deep ball, that doesn't mean it is the end all be all of the game of football, right. because Drew could do that in 2011. He could, you know, score a drive in 28 seconds, but that's not necessarily the name of the game. The name of the game is, is really clock control. And, and really what we saw this season where, the offense just needed to be able to sustain a drive for more than 30 seconds. The defense was going to do their job as long as they got there eventually. And so to kind of, you know, blow all of that work out of the water to me and kind of like what I was saying before, where I'm with Ross, if these people become available, you have to make the call. But the cost to me, it's hard to say for someone like Russell Wilson, it wouldn't be too steep unless they've really just decided we're over it, kind of here you go kind of thing. But it's either going to be some of these really important defensive players or it's going to be those draft picks. And the Rams might not think the draft is important, but the Saints have shown a very pointed strategy in building their team through the draft. And I just with, you know, kind of those holes that, they need to fill specifically really O-line and receiver and that especially O-line for them. It, it, it's building through the draft, giving up first round picks to me it, it is really difficult as, and, 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 you know, when you talk about those lower level quarterbacks, uh, I mean, someone like Jimmy Garoppolo who, uh, you know, he does throw picks, but so did Jameis Winston. So I'm not really using that anymore as a you know qualifier for why a quarterback can't come to New Orleans because, you know, if nothing else, Sean clearly showed this season that, you know, give me a quarterback, I will play to his strengths as that's always been the way that he's operated. But he really, you know, there was growth in Winston in a seven to eight game span that just shouldn't really be possible to be honest with you. And, you know, I, ironically, as I was watching, you know, the Rams Niners game on my computer while following that game uh, for the saints and the Falcons, you know, I was very impressed by Garoppolo on third down Garoppolo when he was behind from a deficit and, you know, that his team really likes him and that they really rally around him. So looking for someone with those kind of traits that, is a team guy that the team is going to, you know, rally around and that can execute the saints offense. You know, they don't, again, they don't need some magic formula to me at quarterback because the fact that everything went wrong this season and they still went nine and eight anyways, even totally outside of quarterback, that really showed to me that this team isn't a team that needs someone like Aaron Rodgers, someone like Russell Wilson, 
do they need a you know a, a healthy quarterback who can execute the offense for the top an 18 week period? Absolutely, yeah, but it doesn't need to be that cream of the crop guy. And again, that goes back to my thing before about almost becoming complacent in that elite type of quarterback play. I think there just really is so much character to be built in the middle of that by, you know, a more complete team, very much like the 2019 San Francisco 49ers where Garoppolo wasn't, you know, Patrick Mahomes, they lost in the Super Bowl, but it was pretty freaking close for, you know, that and you being put that, the comparison. Uh, put that one on uh, the, uh, the coach. You, you put that uh, yeah. the play calling in the second yeah. half made no sense. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, but to me, that was the definition of a complete team with a competent quarterback. And I think those teams are so much scarier than a team like, you know, the Packers where they can be scary because Aaron Rodgers is a scary guy, but the team itself isn't one that, you know, puts fear in, in people's hearts, the way facing the Saints defense is, you know, going to give people night terrors at this point. So between not wanting to give those players up and seeing the importance of culture, you know, in a more complete team, I am very much on that kind of level of almost, you know, that B plus quarterback, because that's really all that the Saints need. The template is there and we don't have a ton of much time, but I do want to hit on this. Uh, The template is there because like you said, we've seen Baltimore win with Joe Flacco, who nobody is ever going to confuse with the hall of fame level quarterback. Eli Manning, who for the course of his career threw more interceptions than he did touchdowns, had a, basically a 500 record as a co- as a quarterback, beat the two two of the greatest teams of all time in the Super Bowl because he had a complete offensive line, he had a complete defense around him that could shut down Tom Brady's offense. You know, you can the, the Eagles that won the Super Bowl didn't do it with you did it with Nick Foles and Carson Wentz leading you for that season. You can win a Super Bowl. And it's been shown repeatedly, as long as your quarterback is not taking things off the table. And when you need them to make one play, they can make one play. And that's the thing. Can you extend that third down when we need it? Can you scramble a little bit when we got to have it? The Saints, the the scouting job they've done in getting the most out of Teddy Bridgewater, getting a lot out of Jameis Winston and us seeing notable developments in how he approached the game. And then even seeing... Yeah, Taysom Hill didn't play great football, but he did the things that he was asked to do. And, and even with Trevor Simeon coming off the bench and throwing those, throwing some great passes, Ian Book stepping in there with his attitude of not saying, well, I'm the fourth string guy, nothing's expected of me. He went out there and competed. He went out there and gave it what he could. So I agree. There's the culture that's in place that whomever comes in as the signal caller, they know they're going to get support from their head coach. You know that they're going to put the pieces around you to succeed at whatever level. And you've got that defense that makes it so much easier for you to go out and say, we didn't score points on this drive, but we got two first downs. We helped the defense out. They're going to get it back for us. I think the Saints have for the next five years, if they can, you know, even with Cam Jordan getting older and you're eventually going to have to move him on, the rest of this defense is relatively young for the next two to three years to really still compete at an elite elite level. I think – Go ahead. I was going to say, I think they're doing, you know, a very pointed job of, you know, getting younger guys like Peyton Turner before Cam Jordan has retired guys like Pete Werner before tomorrow Davis is 
reached the end of his career that I don't want to, you know, picture. He's only 31. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, just he, there's he a lot the of idea. layers there. The other there. day when I asked about retiring, he like laughed about it. He was like, I don't know, I'm going nowhere. Yeah, <laughs> like, I live here. Um, no, I'm with you, Maddie. I, I think that, you know, there's the, there's the young movement that's already sort of being there. But if the Saints wanted to run it back defensively in 2022, it's three players they have to return in terms of starters or in terms of like key players that impact games on a game to game basis. Marcus Williams, PJ Williams and Inquan Alexander. Like those are the three folks that you're looking to return. And yes, I know the Saints are over $60 million over the salary cap, but they'll restructure five contracts and they'll be they'll be fine. You know what I mean? Like they'll be all right. And so I'm not too worried about that. But I don't I also don't think that keeping those three guys is going to be particularly challenging. I think the hardest of the three to keep is going to be Marcus Williams, but I would almost dare say that Marcus Williams is going to be priority number one in terms of Saints in-house free agents this season, uh, considering the fact that they already have a contract structure laid out for him because they were close before the franchise tag deadline. You know what I mean? And and it's always interesting to me to hear people say, well, the Saints can't get a contract done with him this offseason because he's going to be too expensive. But they had one that they were working with them last year. So they got something like they'll be fine. They'll have a structure that's going to work and figure everything out. It's not going to like, you know, um, hurt them salary cap wise down the road, but it's not going to be that much of an ask to run this defense back. And then you go into the draft, you focus on any positions or best player available based on whatever you were able to fill in free agency, but then you just bring in more young defensive players that are standing in the wings. And then all of a sudden you're ready for kind of that next step, like the Peyton Turner in place of Cam Jordan potential, the Pete Werner in place of Demario Davis potential. And then you find more of those players. You know what I mean? This isn't, and, and, you know, Maddie, you talked about how this team has shown a propensity to build through the draft out of the 22 players that were expected to start, right. Expected to start for the new Orleans saints in 2021, five of them were on, were not team, not, were players that didn't start their career with the New Orleans Saints, right? I guess you could say six if you roll uh, James, if you roll Taysom in there as well as like his his individual role. But that's it. I mean, this is not this is not a hard ask for the New Orleans Saints this offseason. And it'll just be another offseason where everybody's going to say, how are the New Orleans Saints doing that? And I always look forward to that. And I think just, you know, something that matters to me is, you know, the fact that, if you're on this defense, it's a defense you really want to come back to. Like last year, there was just a lot of uncertainty and a lot of that under center, a lot of that, where's the direction of this team going and them really not having much, you know, cash to work with last year, especially, but, you know, thinking about guys like Marcus Williams, you know, when you have a team that plays like this, then that makes those types of guys want to stay in these contract negotiations, want to make something work out, want to stay with this type of team. I'm not asking for players to not be paid their worth and anything of the sort, but it's a very different story. If this year goes really differently, there's still no direction. We're still washed up in the post breeze era and they're all focused on the other side of the football. I, I think you know, that's also a very important thing too, is like the defense really feeling valued this season. And it, again, it's just a byproduct of having an elite quarterback under center, but obviously the attention is going to be more on the offensive side of the ball. And I think the defense really got their chance to shine this year and the team really, you know, leaned into that and tried not to fit a square peg in a circle hole and just said, okay, we're going to go defense now. 
And so when I think of those guys like Marcus Williams, like PJ Williams, who first of all, shout out PJ yeah. Williams, that he's one of the three in that conversation. When you consider when he got resigned last year, everyone was, you know, why he's not good at this position, not realizing that, you know, he's going to be probably playing a different position. Mm-hmm. And to that credit, I also think that Chris Richard was one of the best offseason hires in a very long time. Yeah. But I think Ross is very right that it's a different situation than last year. And th- these contracts, like you said, are things that they already put in place and were willing to eat the franchise tag for someone like Marcus Williams last year. And, you know, just looking at the Marshawn Lattimore situation, I think the way they handled that was very, very mm-hmm. you know, smart and they went about it really well. It wasn't, you know, we're going to, condemn him for a mistake and make him play out this year to see, you know, if there are maturity problems, it, you know, him getting rewarded and then playing like he did all season, you know, it's just the the culture again, culture, 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 but that's really, you know, what makes guys want to come back. Guys like Cam Jordan want to finish their career out in New Orleans rather than, you know, take a, kind of lucrative contract somewhere else for a year or two. You know, this, this is a team that people want to finish with and finish their careers with. And that's just really exciting looking forward. We're going to do this each month as we go through the off season, we'll all reconvene again as things change. Of course, Ross is going to be doing his thing daily. You do your thing daily with the saints. Um, and of course, Ross and I do the Dome patrol every Wednesday, but all three of us, like I said, we'll come back uh, once a month during the, the off season. But before I let you go, last question, Ross, I'm going to let you go first because I know you got to jump out. Um, the player of the year for you from the Saints, the Saints' most valuable mm-hmm. player, and the moment of the year for you. Oh, can I? Okay, well, I'm going to just make this one real easy. Both of them are C.J. Gardner-Johnson. I think <laughs> <laughs> this is real simple. Uh, I would love to say Paulson and Evo because he came through for me. You know, he made me not look like an idiot because I planned my flight hard <laughs> when it came to Paulson and Evo. That was yeah. scary. That was scary, but he came through. Um, only player to start all 17 games for the Saints. But Unreal. C.J. Gardner-Johnson is somebody that like continuously brought in, it brought brought energy that continuously made plays that baited Tom Brady into a game, game ceiling interception that just kind of did everything. Yeah, he missed some games. He had the injury. He came, you know, he was in and out of the boot for a second, missed those three games on IR and then came back. But you could see there was a palpable difference between when he was on the team versus when he wasn't on the team. And he's not at a position that usually gets recognized as like a player of the year or anything like that, but I'm perfectly comfortable recognizing him. And the moment of the year was of course him, me mugging Tom Brady. And then the continued rivalry that came after with the Microsoft surface tweets. Like that's, that's easy for me. Yeah. Maddie. For me, it's I, I'm hard pressed not to agree with that. But just to give you know the sake of variety here, I think I'm going to go Marshawn Lattimore here only because you know again this was you just got paid like a top cornerback and he came out with a cast on his hand and really to me, you know as much as we talk about the defense being strong, it, it wasn't so strong for the first couple weeks of the season. You know there were still zone breakdowns and coverage, the pass rush was still having issues. But I I just think back to, I believe it was the Patriots game, if I remember correctly, where they tried the same pass to the same guy, second, third, and fourth down, and Marshawn Lattimore stopped every single one of them. And just the secondary playing the way they did this year without drawing, you know, PI flags and just for... 
you know, a position that there's really never been, you know, a sense of confidence and long-term vision there with Marshawn Lattimore being there. I just feel like the foundation is so strong that it's almost impossible to consider in the same context of just a couple of seasons ago where, you know, watching uh, them uh, in 2019 against the Packers and, and the Raiders where, or maybe that was 2020. I honestly can't remember, but, you know, just again, where there was no, sense of strength at that last line of defense. And to me, once that happened, all of the moats in front of it became so much stronger. And now this team can operate really at all levels of that defense. But for moment of the year, I think I shared this video when Ross tweeted about it, but it had to be PJ Williams, you know, game ceiling pick six against the Buccaneers, just in the context of Jameis Winston going down that game, Trevor Simeon coming in and really, you know, playing his butt off in relief and the reactions of all of the players too on the field towards Tom Brady, just kind of like CJ Gardner Johnson, you know, it was just such a, a great unexpected moment for, I think a player that couldn't have deserved that moment to shine more. I'm going to, since you guys took the defense, I'm going to give it to actually to, to somebody who didn't finish the season, but to me made a great impression as James Winston. Um, I would say absolutely in the seven games that Big he win. played, we learned a lot about Jameis's uh, maturation, um, his interactions with the team after he got hurt, him showing up in Atlanta and continuing to support his team. Hobbling his way there. And, yeah, and just and, and the work ethic that we've seen that, that he's been doing to get back on the field, whether it's for the Saints or someone else. And I hope it's for the Saints. Um, but um, Jameis just. He, he exceeded my expectations for him as an individual and as a football mm-hmm. player uh, this season. Not that we, we ever doubted his talent. We've all known his talent, but could he put it together? And he did that. Uh, you know, I don't want to give credit to other people. He did that. He made the choices uh, to get better and to be a leader and to, to look, quite frankly, put some, some faith in fans that, man, you can make all the throws. And, and right. that thing, again, is, is a big confidence boost. My moment, again, y'all took some great ones. I'm going to take Marcus Williams' uh, pass breakup against Philly. That just yeah. – was, just That was sick. ridiculous. Just it was sick. hard not to give him as my player for that exact yeah. moment, to be honest. Yeah. Just, just sick. <laughs> just, that's yeah. wild. That's, that's funny. Like, that was this season, y'all. Like, doesn't that also feel forever ago? Like, that 84 years made, ago. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> Gosh, I still lived in Philadelphia when this play happened. Like, that's <laughs> you – know? Man, um, thank you guys so much. Uh, this has been great as always. Like I said, we'll do this again very soon. Maddie, tell them how they can follow you and not not bother you. Don't be bothering Maddie. <laughs> yes, uh, at Maddie Hudak underscore uh, nine four whispers quietly at the end. <laughs> and you can catch her on sidelines doing games now for Victory Sports Network as well. Varsity. So- Varsity, excuse me, Varsity, forgive me. But yeah, she's doing it all, man. He's everywhere, multimedia. Air Ross, mm-hmm. you know, every day with Locked On Saints and so many other things. At Ross Jackson, Nola, um, you can check him out there. Anything else you got to plug real quick, my friend? Nah, we'd be here forever. Don't worry about that. All right, so. Just, just here flex. on Wednesdays. Here on Wednesday mornings. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so, on behalf of Maddie and Ross, I am David Grubb. This has been the Dome Patrol Plus, you know, with the patrol, the full patrol this time (laughs) on Hard to Pay. We'll talk to you next time. Y'all have a great day.